0: Hello, lava this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. O loo ingoa Susana Coming up, Budget Day looms on Tonga in Fiji. Also,
1: when it got explained to me why I needed a reason, so I was like, oh, what the heck?
0: A Tongan team could face deportation. And later,
2: the topics that we were covering were broad and they were exciting.
0: We check out the Pacific Science Festival. Tonga's parliament has passed its new budget just ahead of the July 1st deadline. RNZ Pacific's Tonga correspondent, Kalafi Muala, told Don Wiseman at 784 million pa'anga, it's a record surpassing last year's budget.
3: And I think the difference, Don, is that this year they have got the beginning of the payment of loan, the government loan, particularly the loan to China. And so, when you, you see the difference between last year's budget and this budget, a difference of 19.5 million, and then you see what they have allocated for the payments of debts, and uh, yeah, you can understand why this year's budget is a record
4: budget. A lot of money uh, coming from donors, more than ever.
3: That's correct. And that's $364.7 million from donors. Uh, the government comes up with uh, $419.5 million. So, yes, that's a lot of money from donors. And yet it's still a deficit budget. In other words, they calculated the amount of money they expect to come into government this year. And then the amount of money that's going out, there will be a deficit of
4: $27.2 million. Do we know where the money is going? There's enormous need in Tonga, as we know. Do we know where the money is going?
3: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because they stated that this budget is focusing on economic recovery and greater resilience and sustainability. If the focus is economic recovery, that means we're still at zero point. You know what I mean? In other words, they're still spending all this money trying to bring us back to recovery, to normal. And that's why the uh, allocations in the budget estimate for the new budget 2023-2024, it goes to the Ministry of Infrastructure, uh, which that's 18% of the budget infrastructure in the Ministry of Finance. That means they're going to spend a lot of money on roads, a lot of money on wharves, repairs and all of that which of course uh, the damages that happen uh, because of of the eruption and tsunami
4: and uh, the perennials education and health
3: they have been the two main services that have usually at the top of our budget spending every year and this year they have moved them to number education number three and uh, health to number four so uh, yeah that's a concern.
4: So we've got three of the top four, but what was number two?
3: Yes, number two is is uh, the Ministry of Finance and National Planning. That means they're giving finance money that they will just hold to be able to use it for when, wherever they see most necessary. But definitely infrastructure is the number one.
4: Infrastructure got 18%, but it could yet get a whole lot more than that.
3: that that's correct, because the Ministry of Finance also gets 18%. And uh, education and training gets 17%, and the Ministry of Health gets
4: 9%. There's not a lot of public discussion about a budget in Tonga until after the process is finished. So how do you think people will react to it?
3: Well, people are in a, uh, I would say probably the best term for it is that all living in a survival mode from week to week, month to month, and year to year. And the biggest reaction would be the fact that, hey, we... Do we need the roads? Do we need infrastructure to be able to put food in our stomach, to be able to export our our crops and, and all of that? So to me, that would be the biggest concern, because road construction has been a major controversial issue with the last government, and then this government comes in and inherits the problem. And that's the area where there's the greatest amount of corruption that has been alleged uh, going on, because that's where the money, construction of roads, and the selection of the companies to do so. So that is a major concern.
0: Meanwhile, Fiji's budget will be announced on Friday morning. Prime Minister Sitiveni Ramboka has stated the budget will be people-centred, balanced and resilient, while still delivering on core services, investment in health and skill development, and improving infrastructure. However, the People's Coalition government has also made it clear that this budget will not be business as usual, as the country works to rebuild its economy. Rachel Nath has been following the story. Less than 24 hours
5: before Friday morning's budget announcement, Fiji's Prime Minister addresses the nation tasked with the challenge of delivering the country from a hefty debt city venue rambuka says the government's revenue collection must be more robust alluding to citizens footing the bill
4: addressing our debt problem will require sacrifices a painful structural reform of our social and economic system the economy needs to switch from being consumption driven to production to ensure private sector growth and development.
5: Speaking of what he calls his country's troubled economy, Rambuka asked for understanding from his people.
4: Although our economy has shown growth in the last 12 months, due primarily to the tourism sector, government now needs to consider some hard decisions to keep us on that trajectory.
5: Fiji must manage its unsustainable debt levels and address social and economic issues. But what will this mean for the people of Fiji? To find out more, we are now joined by Nilesh Gounder, who is a Senior Lecturer in Economics at the University of South Pacific. Now, Fiji is experiencing an unprecedented economic crisis. The World Bank reporting its debt levels reaching 90% of GDP last year. Now, with this magnitude of a crisis, Nilesh, can you tell us what the big ticket item is possibly going to be in tomorrow's announcement?
6: So, uh, given that uh, the high debt-to-GDP ratio we would expect the government to, to increase uh, the tax rates. Uh, so the, the major uh, taxes uh, that contribute to, to, to tax revenue include value-added tax and uh, company income taxes. So it is, it is, um, it is expected that uh, value-added tax rates uh, will, will increase, but also there's an expectation that uh, company income taxes will, will increase as well. This is to ensure that the government is able to increase its revenue collection, which will be important in order to make a dent on the increasing debt, but to also uh, ensuring that uh, it is able to spend on public services and on infrastructure.
5: Right. And why will a possible tax reform be so crucial to Fiji's economy?
6: Two important points to, to, uh, to consider. Uh, if if uh, government increases taxes, uh, both say value the taxes and company income taxes, it's twofold. One is to 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 ensure that it is able to use the additional revenue in reducing the debt, which will be important from a broader economic perspective. Uh, because if debt is not controlled or reduced now, then it will bring more pain into the in in the, in the future. So it's important. Uh, for the public to consider that if if if, if taxes do increase, then the taxes uh, are going to the revenue that government is going to collect from increase in taxes is going to reduce expenditure, but also the the increase in revenue is going to be spent on on much needed uh, infrastructure. For instance, uh, the infrastructure related to to provision of um, uh, water uh, has a has a backlog of around seven hundred to eight hundred million dollars and this is delayed uh, investment in infrastructure. This is the amount that is required so that we bring our infrastructure up to par so that people can receive uh, normal uh, supply of water uh, to their homes so the increase yeah. in revenue uh, will be important for the government to deal with debt but also to, to invest in, in much needed uh, infrastructure
5: right now so apart from tax increments what else do you expect to see in the budget to address fiji's financial crisis
6: debt debt to gdp yeah. ratio is not only going to come down by increase in revenue but we also need to ensure that the economy is growing at a much higher rate rates more than more than 5 uh, to 7%
5: of course, and, and funding will be put aside for that purpose in the budget. Now, which sectors do you predict will take the um, biggest piece of the pie?
6: So the key sectors in Fiji's economy include um, uh, services. Tourism is one of those services, but manufacturing and agriculture are also important. And from an economic diversification perspective, investing in, in, in agriculture and manufacturing will also be key uh, towards um, uh, accelerating growth. Uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the short to medium term. But uh, tourism industry uh, holds a lot of promise and uh, one would expect that uh, government is going to, to invest uh, in, 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 in the tourism industry, but also uh, it is going to invest in, in, in agriculture and, and manufacturing sectors.
5: Okay, uh, thank you. That was Nilesh Gander, who is the University of the South Pacific Senior Lecturer in Economics.
0: 19-year-old Stephen Bayer dreams of playing professional basketball. But that dream may never come true after finding out he's an overstayer. Bayer arrived to New Zealand from Tonga when he was just two years old. To his friends, Bayer is as Kiwi as Pavlova, but in the eyes of the authorities, he's an illegal migrant. Human rights activists have long criticised New Zealand's treatment of overstayers, Particularly immigration policies denying citizenship to overstayers who arrived in New Zealand as children. Final spoke with Stephen Bayer to talk about the challenges he faces.
7: When did you find out that you were an overstayer?
1: So I found out just as I was in my last year of school, so just when I finished and I was like gonna go like look for a job and stuff and then I got told that I wasn't allowed to work because of I didn't have a valid visa to work and stuff and then like at the time, I didn't like, no, I was like confused. And then, um, when it got explained to me why I needed a reason and stuff, I was like, Oh, what the heck? And then, after I tried to get onto it straight away, I did an online application, got declined it under, um, that act 11 or something where they didn't have to give a reason for why they declined it.
7: Wow. So they so they didn't even give you a reason for why they declined nah. it?
1: Nah. The first time I applied, they declined it under the same... Uh, I think it's called... I don't think it's Act 11 or something. And it says that the immigration officers don't have to provide a reason for declining your application. And then the second time I got the same thing, I looked at the email and they put it under the same Act 11. And I was, like, wondering, like, oh, what the heck? I don't know what, what was wrong with my references or any of that stuff. They just got declined and sent back to me. And this was earlier this year, in February, just before... Uh, just before the three hundred Asia Cup in Singapore.
7: So you you missed out on that cup.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed out on that.
7: Have you heard from any expert or from I I don't know if you're using an immigration lawyer or or anyone about why it could have been declined.
1: Um, they so the um the lawyer that I was talking to, they were saying that some. Some sometimes a lot of the cases they'll just look like uh, the immigration officers would just look at look over your um your application and if it's like what certain name like say Pacific the name they would just wouldn't even have a look at it push it aside decline it and then just send it back to us.
7: So, it must make you angry. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I was I I wasn't too too angry. I was more like upset and like confused at why um it would have been declined because i've literally been in New Zealand for my whole life pretty much, and um being the kind that just like hurt more than made me kind of angry and especially like being um having the opportunity to go and represent Tonga at um, the Asia Cup in Singapore um it was really heartbreaking for myself not being able to compete in that
7: we're entering the election year, and we have a lot of Pacific leaders in government. You know, they've been talking a lot about the dawn Raids. It's kind of there's a sense of hypocrisy because um yeah. you know the when you listen to the speeches and the rhetoric yeah. it's kind of more rights for overstayers and justice and fairness, but in your case and in a number of cases we're not seeing that.
1: Definitely. I, 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 I agree that there there is a um there isn't so much fairness. Like I just find it real like unfair how all of the processes and stuff have been going, and especially seeing a lot of families who've been here for a longer time than I have still being declined by immigration, and nothing's changed for them either.
7: And you live in fear of you could be taken away.
1: Definitely, I I was so I was scared to like leave the house, scared to go to trainings and stuff. Like every day I'd leave the house, and I just pray that. Immigration doesn't just come out of nowhere and pick me up. And I'd always think that I'm on the radar to, as like, the first ones to come get picked up, taken to the airport, taken to Tonga. I'll, I'll, yeah, I've always just had a real big fear about it. And it stresses me out every day, just knowing that they can just pick me up at any time, any place, and just take me. A lot of, a lot of us Pacific Islanders, we, we come to New Zealand for a better future. And like, our parents bring us here for a better life. Like, everyone comes here in search of, uh, future for their families and stuff and especially if we're, we've been here for x amount of years for like so long and New Zealand's all we know like growing up here not knowing anything about Tonga and then all of a sudden we have to get sent back that that's like real traumatizing for us.
0: The Tohuda Otago Museum is looking to expand its Pacific Science Festival initiative which was well-received on the Cook Islands and Niue over the past few years. The festival includes a large range of hands-on interactives and demonstrations, exploring everything from the property of light, nanotechnology and climate change. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with Emily Eastgate, the Science Engagement Coordinator at the museum.
2: Yeah, so the overarching... um mission of of the festival was to build on um what are already clearly curious um intelligent and inquisitive uh minds of the students in Nui Um, by engaging them with a a real range of of sciences um hands-on demonstrations virtual reality and and the purpose of that was uh, not only to um, ignite some inspiration um, and encourage those students to pursue science study, um, science careers, but also just to um, remind them of the importance of science just in the every day, um, in the day-to-day. If um, we, Our team was saying if, if global crises have, taught us anything, especially in the last um, two to three years, it's that um, everyone needs to sort of come together and um, collection, collective action is a huge part of um, succeeding and overcoming these crises. So um, a big part of this was also just sort of inspiring that interest in science and the importance that it has um, in informing our decisions um, of the day to day. And so part of that, it was it was obviously very important that the topics that we were covering were broad and they were exciting. So um, we were covering things like uh, climate change and weather science, light, physics, um, photonics um, and of course uh, to, to matauranga o te rongoa, which is the, the science of medicines, Um yeah, so so really broad, and just that this overall mission was just to really um, ignite some some excitement um, within the students of Nui.
7: It's um, the level of not just the science, but the equipment, the displays, the mm-hmm. stuff that you're taking over is something. Not not accessible, right? In 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 new ways. So I, I would imagine it not only generated interest from the students, but there would be a lot of very interested um, uh, uh, new air residents who probably would have been coming along, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as well as running school sessions, we did also run two very successful community sessions: um, uh, one after school and and one on the Saturday. Um, and yeah, I think certainly having some of the um, sort of higher tech equipment that we bought over was a big draw card. It is really exciting, the concept, um, I'm sure, for a lot of the community, that there was a inflatable planetarium sitting in the high school hall. Um, so we bought that over with us from Aotearoa, um, and we also bought some nighttime telescopes, um, solar telescopes, and virtual reality headsets. So, all of that stuff is, of course, um, su- super super important, giving uh, the community that opportunity to engage with um, equipment that that they wouldn't normally get to. Yeah,
7: what was your sense of the engagement? Like, what did what, what was something that stood out for you in terms of the 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 students attending and questions they were asking maybe?
2: I think the thing that stood out for me was just the the absolute um, sense of, of excitement that the year groups displayed from from the younger, you know, the, the year five, sixes, all the way through to the year 13s, which was actually super refreshing. Um, I'm sure a lot of educators in Aotearoa can probably um, empathise that sometimes you get to a certain age and you really have to work very, very hard on getting, getting buy-in, especially from some of the older students. Of course, they're interested, but it just takes that little bit longer. Um, these guys they were all so so excited the questions they were asking um were very in-depth there was a very um high high standard of um knowledge in the sciences already um and it was actually it was really great that we had the likes of um Dr Craig Grant who's our Uh, Director of Science Engagement and Visitor Experience at the Museum as well as Professor David Hutchison and Paul Muir from the Otago University Physics Department who were there as well um, um, to be able to answer some of these really, really um, in-depth questions that the students were asking. It was just absolutely magic.
7: Um, As well as as the education part, was there any training elements to your programmes?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we bought over a Dobsonian nighttime telescope, which we have uh, given now to the community in Niue for them to use for nighttime education sessions. We trained up three teachers on using the telescope. So Niue actually, it's the only country in the world, I believe, um, that is a dark skies nation. So um, I'm not sure if you've ever been to Niue before, but the stars are absolutely sublime Um, and so we've given them this telescope um, and they'll be able to run some some nighttime sessions education sessions with um, whoever they want to really the students the community um, tourists so that was really great that's Pacific Waves for today.
0: To listen back, head over to rndzi.com slash programs. You can also download us on Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio podcasts. For myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, Sulfaso4.